We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. As we go through a couple of chapters here this evening, I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of lessons. And that's kind of cool because there's a lot of different situations represented here tonight. And I think that as we go through God's Word, um, one of the things, a couple of things, because I just want to encourage you guys. I'm so blessed. I know you guys come out, some of you, for the women's study, and then you come out for the men's fellowship or, or women's prayer you know, midweek Sundays, just a lot, a lot of things are going on. And I'm so blessed that you have that type of hunger. And it's kind of like, um, you know, when you, like as a chaplain, they have different uh, courses for me to take. And uh, and I feel like, you know, each one is a little different and equips you in different for different reasons. And so you guys are now studying the life of David. And as you've gone through the life of David, it's almost like you have that now in your heart. And all the lessons that he learned for him in the making of a man of God in his, you know, uh, victories, in his defeats, we learn. And God puts them now in your heart. And it, I think it'll be something so beneficial if you want to connect the dots and you want to live life and you want to be like Acts thirteen twenty two, a man after God's own heart, then it's so cool, you know, studying the life of David together. And, you know, one of the things we see that we learn from David is his failure as a parent. And being in the church, I know you're going to hear this a lot, and I, and I pray that it never gets old, how crucial, how critical that role of being a parent is. You know, whether your child is very, very young, um, you gotta, you got to establish that authority from the get-go, right? And give them a little, you know, trancaso every once in a while. You know, you, you establish that authority so that then you can teach them. You can't teach them without having that authority. And then you begin to train them after you've taught them. And then eventually you start kind of coaching them. But being a parent, it never, it never, I don't think it ever ends. And a lot of us here have made mistakes. But I want to encourage you, as we always talk about being a good parent, don't let that, you know, beat you up and mess you up. There's still a lot of parenting for us to do in the future. But, you know, from this day forward, we got to go. And David, unfortunately, is experiencing, as we study tonight, a rebellion from his son Absalom. I mean, Absalom wants to take over the kingdom, and he literally does for, uh, uh, we don't know how long, but it's a pretty good amount of time. Enough to gather the whole nation of Israel's army together. So it's a little bit of time. So his son is rebelling because David had failed as a father. And so we learn from that. And I pray that, you know, out of all the roles that we have in life, and there's a lot of different things in ministry and, you know, whatever it is, the friends that you have and the hobbies that you have and the interests that you have, that we would never, ever, you know, underestimate what it is to be a parent. And, and it's going to be a huge thing. Now, I don't know if you guys heard about this. The other day I read uh, about this whole thing uh, where this uh, guy uh, growing up wanted to be a baseball player. But at the age of 19, it didn't look like it was going to happen. Uh, he uh, started doing drugs. Next thing you know, he's not you know, in line to become a pro. He starts getting odd jobs. And in one sense, his dream had ended. But then it was through the encouragement of his father, God began to do a work in his life. He got back on track. He made it to the major leagues. And Tuesday night, it was his first game. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but, you know, as he was there, he was up to bat uh, Fox News began to interview his father up in the stands. And as his son is up to bat, you know, they're saying, hey, you know, what do you think? I mean, you would, he's all, I would have never thought. Next thing you know, second pitch, second up to bat, boom, he hits a home run right in the middle of the interview of his father. And I was thinking, Lord, what a, what a contrast that is. His name, his name is Evan Gaddis. And I was just thinking, Lord, what a contrast that is. How, Lord, I see David here and how he failed and what it did to Absalom's life. 
But here you have a father who made such a difference, and that should be an inspiration for us, and these should be warnings for us. You guys, let this role be deeply embedded within us. And as we go through his life, we see his mistakes, we see his victories, and there's a lot, a lot of wisdom, a lot of things to learn now as we go to 2 Samuel 16. Warren Wiersbe said, in times of crisis, people respond in various ways. He said, as we go through our chapter tonight, expect to meet the liar, the accuser, the avenger, and the traitor. Because look what we read in verse 1. It says, when David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? And so Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I might find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. A couple of things real quick. Number one, God will provide for you. God will provide for you, right? If it's God's will, it's God's bill, right? Where God guides, God provides. And that's a really important promise to remember. David is now going to go and he's going to flee Jerusalem, primarily because he doesn't want to kill his son. I think that's the real reason. And as he's going out into the wilderness, you know, how are they going to survive? God will provide for them. And God will provide for you. I know there's many of you here today, I would imagine, in this economy that we live in, and you're wondering how you're going to make ends meet or how you're going to, you know, pay the bills. And, you know, of course, it's a lesson in stewardship. You know, try not to get in over your head. But when you're just, you know, trying to be a good steward, you're giving to God what belongs to God, he'll provide for you, right? It may just be rice and beans, but I tell you what, man, those, that's pretty good. <laughs> homemade salsa, homemade tortillas, you're fine. God will provide for you. And people will lie to you. Now, I remember when I was young, I'd never believed that. I just, oh, everybody's always telling the truth. How could people lie? And then I found out that if you're not saved, that's pretty much your language, huh? <laughs> that's what was happening right here. This guy, Ziba, he comes up to David, and it looks pretty good. He's got these camels. He's got 200 loaves of bread. He's got a whole bunch of cakes of raisins and fruit and even some wine to refresh them. And, uh, and it looks pretty good, right? And so David's like, well, what's all this? Oh, it's for you. It's for you, you know, my king. And, uh, and, and David says, well, where's your master? Now his master, remember, is Mephibosheth. That was uh, the descendant of Saul, whom in chapter 9, David showed kindness to him. And so when Mephibosheth came in, David said, hey, is there any more descendants of Saul that I can bless? Oh, yeah, this guy Mephibosheth, but he's lame in the feet. And so David said, bring him in. He was brought in, and Mephibosheth thought he was going to die. And on the contrary, David blessed him. He gave him all of Saul's property back, and he let him sit at the king's table every single day. And so he told Ziba, he said, Ziba, take care of him. You and all your sons and all your servants take care of Mephibosheth. And so now here's Ziba, and he's like, well, where's your master? Where's Mephibosheth? And there in verse 3, he lied. He said, well, you know, Mephibosheth's convinced today the house of Israel restore the kingdom of my father to me. And so what does David do? David says, hmm, well, because of that, you know what? You're going to get all his property. And so what happened? You know, later on we read when David does come back, the Mephibosheth, he doesn't, you know, comb his hair. He doesn't shave his beard or mustache. He, he doesn't, you know, take care of his feet. He doesn't even wash his clothes. Mephibosheth really cared about David. And he was mourning the fact that he had left. But Ziba lied about him. And here's the thing. David believed him. David believed him. And that's a lesson. 
You know, people tell me things all the time. People send you things all the time. You know, you talk to this individual, what happened? Oh, this is what happened, you know? But, but before you believe those things, don't you think you should validate whether or not they're true? It's kind of sad, but I think Christians sometimes are the most gullible of all. And part of the reason, and here it is, you guys, I don't mean to offend you, but I'm talking to myself as well. Sometimes we, we just believe what we want to believe. Oh, yeah, you know, that they, they probably did that. Oh, they probably said that. Are you sure? Have you looked into it? Don't just jump on the bandwagon. Sometimes I think Christians are the most gullible of all. And so whenever I hear it, I can talk to this lady and this guy over here, and they had this ugly you know, situation, or these two friends over here, and the first one comes to me. you got to listen like the rabbis listen. Remember what they would do? They would literally cover one ear, right? And they would listen to you. Okay, okay, okay. Why is that? It's symbolic of what? There's two sides to a story. Okay, well, let me talk to the other person. Let me find out what their side is. And you know, as know, there's actually three sides, right? There's his, and there's hers, and there's God's, right? And so David here, he kind of made a mistake in that he made a decision without listening to the whole story. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. Then LT says, What a shame, what folly to give advice before listening to the facts. And so anyways, um, you know, he meets, first of all, this guy Mephibosheth. And I think we learn a lesson from that, a really helpful lesson, especially for those of you that are gullible. How many of you here are gullible? Like me, you kind of believe everything. But then you learned, okay, no, I can't. You know, by nature, that's who I am. I remember when we were in the office there in Garvey, people would come up and they would tell me their sob stories. Oh, here's $100, you know, or whatever. You know, and then I found out that 99 times out of 100, they're lying. And so you got to check it out, right? And so we meet, first of all, the, the liar, Ziba, and then secondly, the accuser. Look at verse 5. It says, Now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you you rogue. A rogue is a worthless man. Okay, he's, ta- he's talking to the king. <laughs> and the Lord had brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son, so now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. And then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and cut off his head, right? But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life? How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and and let him curse? For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside, opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Can you visualize this guy? He's psycho, huh? (laughs) He's crazy. (laughs) Behurim was a town just east of Jerusalem near the Jordan. And David and his men were weary and they camped there. We're going to see in verse 14. But as they're on their way, this man Shimei, he's a Benjamite from the same tribe of Saul, He's there and he, and he curses David. You think about it, he throws rocks at him. This guy's got to be out there because David has his army around him. He has his, his elite guard next to him. And this guy, he doesn't even care, man. He's just, he's just throwing rocks, right? He's kicking up the dust. And in, in this culture, when you kicked up the dust, it literally meant, I want you to be buried. I want you to die. You're dead. That's what this guy was doing to the king. 
calling him a bloodthirsty man, a rogue, literally a worthless man. And he's doing all this in light of the fact that the Bible forbade it. In Exodus 22, verse 28, it says, You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. Here he is going against the scriptures. Later, Solomon would write in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 20, Do not curse the king even in your thoughts. But here's this guy Shimei cursing David big time. And and we learn we learn things about life, you guys, and, and I and I wish it wasn't like this, but we're living in a world where there are liars like Ziba and there are accusers like Shimei. And that's that's what David experienced. Here we see accused David of the blood of Saul, which we know was not true. Right? It was not true. David actually preserved the life of Saul. Remember when we studied his life? But, but Shimei didn't have all the facts. He just saw that David usurped the throne and he believed the lie and he spread the lie. And, you know, here we see him reacting on that. You know, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and he accuses us day and night. How we need to be careful not to buy his lies. And so David meets the accuser. And, and then, I guess I could say this, the avenger. Look at verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. Now, how many of you here would have done that? Is that a curiosity? Yeah, I'm the king. You're a dog. Do you know who I am? I'm David. I'm the psalmist. I'm the one who killed Goliath. I slew the tens of thousands. What you're saying is not true. I have the right. I am right. Go kill him. I mean, it was his idea. It wasn't mine. Right? And there's that, there's that aspect of, I just want it. I just want it. I want vengeance. But we're learning the lessons. We're learning life and we're learning wisdom in life. That people lie be careful, check the facts, that people accuse you, don't believe the enemy, and he's real subtle. It's been a while since David's been through all this, and he starts believing, maybe maybe I am a bloodthirsty man. No, you're not. You know, and, and here he says, hey, you know, David, well, let me just kill him. Let me just take care of it. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? But, you know, David, it's so cool the way he reacts. Look again in verse 10. The king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? You know, the interesting thing is that this gentleman right here, Abishai, he was with David. When Do you remember when Saul was asleep in the camp and David saw them? And uh, David's like, well, who's going to go down there with me? Because I want to get Saul's spear and his jug of water. And he was with him. Abishai was with him. I'll go with you. And when he went down there, Abishai said, let me just get him real quick. Let me just strike this spear into his head real quick, right here, right now. David said, no, that's not my heart. You know, I don't want that for, for him. You know, he wanted to be blameless in God's sight. Abishai knew David was blameless. Here he tries it again, but David says, no. Verse 10, what have I to do with you? Let him curse because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done this? And David said to Abishai, even my own son, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. You know, it's kind of cool. He looks up, he looks around, and then he looks forward. He says, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. You know, when you want to get vengeance and you just want to go and you just want to, like, Sock somebody in the face with your words because they're so wrong. You don't, you don't. You give it to the Lord. And I tell you what, the Lord will bless you. The Lord will bless you. David said, maybe he'll bless me. Oh yeah, he would bless you. David humbly opens himself up to the possibility that it might be the Lord. You know, as he's leaving Jerusalem, we know he's done some things wrong. You know, and I'll be honest with you, when things go wrong in my life, let's just say I get sick or whatever, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'll examine my heart. I'm not right away going to say, oh, I'm perfect. No, I check my heart. Maybe I'm getting disciplined. I don't know. 
But I'm not, you know, to sit here and say that, that I'm 100%. David's like, you know what? I don't know what's going on right now. I know I'm leaving Jerusalem. And, and so he's searching his heart. He's open to the criticism. He knows he's not 100% pure in this act of Absalom. And right now he's keeping himself at the level of listening to the Lord. You know, I think the, the truth is that many of us would not do that. Most of us would say that's illegal. I know I'm right. I know my rights. Abishai, fight for me and take his head off. How dare he say that? But, you know, I want to encourage you guys today to, to help us learn. God, help us learn from this, from David. You know, we get so freaked out. I don't know about you, but when was the last time you were criticized by somebody? Seriously. When was the last time you were criticized? And if it hasn't been a long time, you know, well, I guess you're living a pretty hunky-dory life, you know, but usually if you're doing something, you're going to get criticized. But when you get criticized, and thank God I have my wife and my kids, and, you know, I have a church that loves me, man, and, you know, they, they tell me things, and I praise God for that. But, you know, when you get criticized, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Don't, don't do that. You know, I thank God for the critical people in my life. I thank God for even the overly critical people in my life. I have some of those too. You know, they make me search my heart. I wouldn't want to probably be them, and I wouldn't want to necessarily hang around them all the time. But I do need them in my life. You know, one guy said, I am convinced that Christians are more willing to be destroyed by praise than to be saved by criticism. And I think that's very true. David here was open to the critic. Warren Worsby said, David patiently took it and left the matter with the Lord. There are times when silence is the best response. You know, how often have you guys regretted outbursts of retaliation, you guys? And, you know, justification. You know, probably a lot. But how rarely we've regretted keeping silent. And don't get me wrong, there are times when we need to talk and maybe you should have, you know, spoke up and, you know, um, you know, defended the Lord or whatever, and, you know, confronted someone. But what I'm talking about is a lot of times is that those times where you shouldn't have said it, you should have just let them, you know, husbands, let your wife crucify you. Okay? I mean, who killed Jesus? His bride did. Okay, your bride will kill you. That's what I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to tell you. She will be used by God as an instrument to put you and I to death, to die to self for her. But a lot of times we don't want to die, right? And so all I'm saying is that we've got to let this happen. You know, when we read the Bible, we read of uh, another individual by the name of Moses who was right, and the children of Israel kept complaining and what ended up happening was Moses finally was fed up, and then he misrepresented God, and he, and he spoke out loud. And he said, hey, you guys, you make me get water from the rock. And he was all, he got really, 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 really angry. And he was right. He was right. They were a bunch of whiners and complainers. They were in sin. But God wanted him just to speak to the rock. But he smote it. You guys remember that? Book of Numbers, chapter 20, verse 10 and 11. And then when you read on, you'll find out that God said, Sorry, Moses, because of that outburst of wrath, you can't go into the promised land. See, so it's a heavy, heavy thing. David, at this time, he allows Shimei to curse him, to belittle him. And here's the hard part, to humiliate him. Okay, that's, I'll be honest with you, that's what I don't like. You know, when I just feel like I just got humiliated. But isn't that what, what happened to Jesus? And the Bible says in the book of Second Peter, 1 Peter 2, 18-25, that we have to follow in his footsteps. We're going to see later, Shimei gets what's coming to him, but not from David. David will eventually tell Solomon, keep this guy in check. He's going to give him a little test to see if there's true repentance. It turns out there wasn't, so he will die eventually, but not at the hands of David. David here, he deals with this whole thing in a very humble way. 
And so we read in verse 14 that the king and all the people who were with him became weary, and so they refreshed themselves there. Now, if you were to look at the Jordan River, they were on the west side where Jerusalem is. They're still on the, on, on the west side, and so they're there and they're resting. But in verse 15, it says, Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. And so Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so will I be in your presence. And so everything's coming down. Absalom, think about it, he finally arrives in Jerusalem. And as he arrives there, he sees this guy Hushai, one of David's advisors and counselors and even friends. He's there in Jerusalem. And so, you know, Absalom's all, wait a minute, I thought you were David's friend. I thought you were going to show loyalty to him. And Hushai convinces Absalom that he's on his side. And we know he's not, right? Because he's going to be there planted as a double agent, right? For David, right? And he says, oh, I'm loyal to Israel. Well, wait a minute, aren't you David's friend? And, and Yeah, but I, I will, you know, serve whoever the people choose, the men choose. I, I will serve you. You're his son, right? And, and this is all part of David's plan, right? To defeat the council of Ahithophel, to have a spy so that he can be informed. Hushai didn't know if Absalom would have immediately killed him or let him live. So he was kind of taking a chance, right? Hushai was like, okay, I'll go back. You want me to go back? But the, the truth is, he might kill me. But I'll go back. Because that's what, that's what friends do. And it's cool we're going to see as we go through this whole thing, it's cool when you have friends, real friends. And it's cool when you're a friend. And we're going to see as we go through, I think David was real. He was sincere. He was a friend. So he had friends. And in the end, it, it, it ended up saving his life. Hushai was David's friend, loyal and loving and willing to lay his life down on the line. And isn't that what the Bible says? That, that greater love has no one than this and to lay down one's life for your friends? That's speaking of Jesus, yeah. But it's speaking of all of us. And I pray that we would be, you know, all these things, parents, friends, like this. So cool. And God's people are blessed by such men. We read about a couple of guys like this who were sent out from the church in Acts 15.25, it says, It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Paul had friends like that as well. We read about them in the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 3 and 4. And this was a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life. See, that's what friends do. This is what Hushai does. And, and a few others we're going to see as we go through here. He goes in and he says, yeah, I'm loyal to you. I'll, I'll serve Israel. But David had planted him there. And, you know, as we go through life, and we're going to see, it, it takes a combination of, you know, agonizing in prayer and strategizing. And that's part of the battle, you guys. As you go through life, what are your situations? What are your challenges? What are the mountains that need to be moved in your life? Pray like crazy, but then work hard and ask God for wisdom, right? Because we have to be as wise as serpents. That's what Jesus said. But sinless as doves. That's what God wants us to do. And so as they're there in Jerusalem, check this out. The very first thing that he does as king, and this is definitely a bad sign, and then in verse 20, Absalom said to Ahithophel, give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, 
whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hand of all who are with you will be strong. And so they placed a tent for, pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. And so imagine that, man. The very first thing that he does as a king is he sleeps with his father's concubines. And that would definitely signal to all Jerusalem that he was taking over all the prerogatives of the king. Now, that, you know, obviously, I know that probably doesn't even need to be elaborated on or explained, but we know earlier in the same book, 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 6 to 11, when uh, King Ishbosheth was there, king of Israel, when, when Abner slept with his concubine, he perceived it as him wanting to take over the kingdom. We're going to see later in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, when Adonijah asks Bathsheba to ask Solomon if he could sleep with Abishag, who had been a concubine of David, Solomon knew straight out exactly what that meant. That meant that he wants to take over the kingdom. And so Ahithophel, the counselor, he knows exactly what to do. Oh yeah, real simple, man. Put a tent on top of the house and in front of the whole country. Sleep with your father's concubines. And that's exactly what Absalom does. This right here would definitely say that he had absolutely no interest in reconciling with his father, that he was here to take over the kingdom and there's no turning back. That would humiliate the king before all the nation and they would be convinced it's now Absalom's hour of power. And that's how rebellions are. You know, a rebellion can be planted in an individual's heart and, you know, once they others find out, oh, you don't like him either? Oh, well, neither do I, especially since you don't. Oh, you don't like him either? And that's how things begin to happen. And then what ends up happening is when they take that stand against the leader, well, now you got to choose. Absalom's in power. Absalom's there in Jerusalem. And we know that this was an, an ugly thing. And at the same time, it was prophesied as part of the chastening for David's life. And so we find that balance, right? Where Absalom is, is choosing, you know, his road, but, you know, David's being chastened by God. Remember back in 2 Samuel 12, 10 through 12, Nathan told David that the sword would never depart from his house because he despised God. He had taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and he said, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own home, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. And so remember earlier I was telling you, when you have your little kids, you know, make sure you spank them with love. Remember I told you guys that? Okay, and don't ever leave a mark on them. And I would encourage you not to use your hand, use a paddle right here on their little behind, right? And it's not always physical. It probably should start off verbal and, you know, different things, maybe a timeout. And everybody's different. Some kids respond a little bit more. But all I'm saying is this. There has to be establishing of authority. What's true for our kids is also true for you. God, God wants to be the Lord of your life. God does not want us to sin. And when we do, He will chasten us so that we don't continue to sin. That's really what was going on with David. It wasn't just, you know, oh, I'm going to punish him. For us, you guys, the punishment was all on the cross. Jesus received all the punishment that we deserved. But there's still chastening in life. And so part of the reason that I bring this up right now is because listen to the lessons of the Lord as he chastens you. And don't sin. You know, don't sin. And there might be someone here today who you know you're having an affair or you're in sexual sin or you're about to have an affair. And then you, you read what happened. David had an affair 
David killed Uriah, and that's what hatred is. Jesus said if you hate someone, you murdered them. Jesus said if you lust after a woman, if you look at her, oh, I want to check her out, then you have committed adultery. Don't do that. Because look at the heartache that it brings. And one other thing, God is creative in his discipline. He's really creative. (laughs) He says to David, oh, you slept with Bathsheba in secret? Oh, man, this is the flavor of my discipline. I'm going to take all your wives, and I'm going to do it before the whole sun. See? And what ends up happening is God's name is dragged through the mud. But God's name in the end, we're going to see, is honored. Ahithophel, you know, he, he had some pretty smart, you know, wicked wisdom, I guess you could say. And so we read in chapter 17, it says, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. And then I will bring back all the people to you when all return, except the man whom you seek. All the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the rulers of Israel. And this would probably have been the best counsel for Absalom's cause. Ahithophel says, you know what, let me, let me lead. Let me just take 12,000 guys and we'll strike him now. And this will keep you safe, King Absalom. And since it's only David we're after, it prevents the people from thinking there's this violent national civil war. And so, you know, everybody at first thinks it's a, it's a really good plan. But then Hushai comes in in, in verse 5. And Absalom said, well, now call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he says too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, the advice Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs, in the field, and your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit or in some other place. And it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say, There is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground of him. And of him and all the men who are with him, there shall not be left such as one, so much as one." Moreover, if he has withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will pull it into the river until there is not one small stone found there. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. I share this with you guys all the time, right? Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one: the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. We have to do our part, and God, and God does his part. You know, David did his part, and he said, you know what, Hushai, you know, you got to go there. He's got a couple of priests. He's got their sons. He's got people working behind the scenes. You know, and what we find is that it was a good plan because Hushai did end up you know, overturning the council of Ahithophel. Uh, and this double agent right here does an excellent job. And, and when you read the whole thing, we don't have time to really, you know, look at everything. But he uses brilliant imagery. He plants fear into the heart of Absalom. And he also appeared to, to appeal to Absalom's pride, right? What does the Bible say? Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, 
Hushai says, don't let Ahithophel lead, you lead. You go and you gather all the soldiers from Dan to Beersheba. Not just 12,000, 120,000 soldiers, man. And you go out there and you lead them to victory. And you know, I think that, you know, Absalom, because uh, he had a lot of pride, he could visualize it. Oh, I could see myself now, you know. It's kind of funny. The Bible says that Absalom didn't have any sons, so he made a monument to himself. Pride. You know, Hushai saw that. Oh, I'll just, I'll just get him with his pride, right? And so what ends up happening, he, he gets him with pride. He also gets him with fear. You know, lead, you lead the army because you'll need the army. Because <laughs> you know the great warrior that David and his men are. He's furious right now like a bear robbed of her cubs. And your father's experienced on the battlefield. He's undoubtedly hiding. And, and what's going to happen once, once David's men get that first initial win? He says that our soldiers will lose heart and they'll fall apart. And so Hushai right here, it's so cool. He gives this uh, whole advice that end up turning the tides. And I think the plan worked partially because of the wisdom of Hushai, but primarily because of the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 14, if you would, again. 14b, For the Lord had purpose to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. Now here's the thing, you guys. David wasn't perfect. He made some major failures. But you want to know something? David was still the chosen leader of Israel. And, and the thing about it is that, and because I, I, I always try to tell leaders this, don't worry about like the rebellion. Don't worry about the mutiny. You know, Raul was telling us about how there were a lot of Calvaries that what they would do is they would they would go on vacation or they would go on missions trips. And he was talking about one in Brea. And the pastor came back and the church was taken over by someone else. Happens a lot. And I, and I try to tell myself, I, I just say, you know what, people, don't even worry about that. Don't even think twice about that. Why? Because if, if you're the chosen leader, whatever the ministry is, you don't have to worry because God will protect you. And if you're not, I always tell the Lord, if I'm not, I don't want to be there because I want you, Lord, to do a work in the church. It's not about me. And so it's the Lord. I mean, the Lord, it says the Lord. And you go against God's chosen leader, tell you what, you are going against God. I don't care how good looking you are. I guess Absalom was pretty much a hunk, man. Real charming, you know? He won the hearts of the men of Israel, but he did not win the heart of God. See, the Lord will protect you, and it's so cool. And I think that's a really important principle for us in life. I mean, you know, for me, and I know like just for everything that goes on in my life, and I think about my kids especially, and just a lot of different things, I just think to myself, the main thing, Lord, is I want to stay close to you. I want to stay close to my Lord and spend that time in prayer and spend that time in the Word and make sure that there's no sin dominating my life, living a life of obedience the best that I can, hopefully, you know, coming to a place of humility and tenderness and gentleness, and God will take care of the rest. He will. Just like he did right here with David, right? And so all Hushai was doing was trying to buy David some time. And so we read in verse 15, it says, Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. He wanted to just let him know what was going on. And now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with them be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahim... Ahaz stayed at En-Rogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. And so a female servant would come and tell him, and they would go and tell King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom. But both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Bahurim, who had a well in his court, and they went down 
into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground grain on it. And the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman to the house and they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, They have gone over the water brook. And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass after that they had departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said, David, arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. And so David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan by morning light. Now one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. And this is so cool the way that, you know, it communicates there, you know, through these young guys and this lady's involved, this man's house, they go into the well, they cover it up, you know, the ground covering, it's kind of cool. And basically, like I'm saying, we're going to build up on this, all of David's love and sincerity and friendship would come back to protect him in the end. And it was really, it's really cool when you see the way it all works out. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and we were we're contrasting the way the world is and the way the church should be. And you know, there's a thing, and it's interesting. The world says this, if you're the boss, don't let any of your workers be your friends. It gets in the way. You'll be sorry. Okay, but in the kingdom of God, we see it revealed in the word of God. Here's the thing, that we all need friends. And we need to be friends. And there's no one who can make it through life all alone. They won't excel without friends. And if in the end that friend becomes a brother, then you experience the wisdom of Proverbs 17, 17, where it says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Because one day we're going to be in that place of adversity and we're going to need a friend. We might even need a brother or a sister. And I think that that's what happened with David, that they saw the way he loved the Lord, and he treated people right. And they knew he was sincere, and they knew he wasn't hypercritical, and they knew he wasn't you know, in it for himself. And I think that in the end, it came back to bless him. He treated people right, so in the end, he had friends. In the end, he had family. And so after all this happens, verse 23, Now when Ahithophel saw that his vice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. Ahithophel, as many of you know, is a picture of Judas who betrayed Jesus and who also hung himself. And I know you guys know, we went over this before, that Ahithophel was intent on bringing David down because in 2 Samuel 23:34 we read that Ahithophel had a son named Eliam. And then in 2 Samuel 11:3 we read that Eliam had a daughter named Bathsheba. And so this means that Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. The same Bathsheba who David sexually sinned with and whose husband David ordered to be killed in battle. Right? 2 Samuel 11. And so all this was in his heart. I hate that man. I hate him, right? And so now it's 11 years later and he sees a way out. He says, you know what? I can work through Absalom. A lot of people believe that it was Ahithophel who fed and led the rebellion. We don't know for sure, but we know he was on his team. And one thing I want to encourage you to be so careful of, because, you know, you talk to people sometimes and here's the thing. They did me wrong. They did me wrong. And they never really, you know, made it right. Now, of course, I, I would say, you know, make it right. You guys try to be peaceful with each other. But you want to know something? If you harbor bitterness in your heart because someone has wronged you, and who knows how long it's been, because bitterness grows. And you harbor bitterness in your heart. You know what? It's like, it's like you drinking poison and then waiting around for the other person to die. It's not going to happen. You're going to die. Ahithophel died because of the bitterness. God had forgiven David, remember? But, but, but Ahithophel didn't. And maybe that person who's wronged you, and you're so ticked off and you're so upset, God's forgiven them. Who are you, greater than God? Not to forgive them? Move on. Give it to the Lord. 
Man, I tell you what, love doesn't keep a track. It doesn't keep track of all the wrongs done to us, huh? How many divorces would there be right now if people did that? Because <laughs> it adds up, right? But you got to be a strong forgiver to be a husband or a wife. All I'm saying is that just be so careful with bitterness. And, and uh, you know, and I hit the fellow. The crazy thing is that he was such a, a smart guy. He was an amazing advisor. He was a brilliant counselor. But you know what? There's a lot of people who can counsel others. They're so good at counseling others, but they can't counsel themselves. Huh? And so what does he do? He takes his own life. And it happens all the time. You know, I need to talk, let's just touch on this real quick. Because even, you know, in a midweek service like this, I would not be surprised if some people here have thoughts of taking their own life. Because I know how the devil operates. They say that in the world that we live in, there are one million people who commit suicide every year. Every year, one million people commit suicide. Now, out of the 196 countries in our world, we have one country, in our country... 300,000 of those 1 million suicides take place in our country. And so that means this, that 0.0429% of the population, that's what we have, 0.0429 of the population, hardly anything. And yet in America, and wouldn't you say that we are like, everybody says, oh, they're the most blessed country in the world. 30% of all suicides take place in this country. You know, we got to take this so seriously. Apparently, suicide is the second leasing cause of death for people between the ages of 14 and 25 in our country. And if you know someone who talks about taking their lives, then you better take them seriously. And if you ever have thoughts of taking your own life, I mean, I want to encourage you today, don't believe the lie of the enemy that God loves you and that there is still hope for holiness and even happiness and joy and heaven. If you're here today and you have those thoughts, man, please talk to someone before you leave. You don't believe the lie of the enemy. John 10.10, 10, the Bible says the devil, the thief, hasn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. And so what ends up happening as we close in verse 24, then David went to Mahanaim and Absalom crossed over the Jordan. Oh, I'm sorry, we read that already, right? No? Okay, thank you. And uh, okay, he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jethra, an Israelite, who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Joab's mother. And so Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. And so we don't know how long this took, but it, it, it must have taken a little bit of time to gather the whole army, right, of Israel. And so now Absalom is there. And so what happened in verse 27, when David had come to Mahanaim, that Shobi, the son of Nahash, from Rabbah of the people of Ammon, mature, mature, this guy's mature, he's a mature guy, and the son of Amiel, we're going to see from Lodibar, Barzillai, the Gileadite from Rogelim, brought both beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curd, sheep and cheese of the herd, for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Like I said in the beginning, man, the Lord provides, huh? I mean, this, this sounds pretty good. Any of you guys hungry? I mean, you're reading that, you're like, I can, I can go for some of that cheese right now. <laughs> you know, the Lord provides, and it's usually through his beautiful, generous, considerate, obedient people. You know, I'm so blessed, and, and we don't have time, but i got to read this to you guys, okay? i got to read this to you, because we went through the list of people who helped him, but, but check it out, who they are. This is John Corson's commentary on this. He said, Shobi was the son of Nahash. His brother Hanan was the one who shaved the beards and cut the garments of David's servants in 2 Samuel chapter 10. David, in turn, waged war against him. 
Therefore, Shobi could have easily said, Me help David? No way. He killed my family. But he still helped him. Interesting, right? Mature was the man who hid and cared for Meshibosheth many years. Therefore, he could have said, Me help David? I've been taking care of crippled guys for years. It's someone else's turn to help. But he helped. And this guy, Barzillai, as we'll see two chapters from now, check this out. He was 80 years old. And he could have said, Me, haul beds and earthen vessels and grain and honey and sheep and cheese. I'm too old. But he didn't. And this is what John Corson says. These are the same excuses, three excuses, I hear people give all too easily. I'm hurt because brother so-and-so did this to me, so I'm not going to help. Or that person over there says, well, I've already done my share. Now it's their turn. Or that person over there says, I've done my time, and I've paid my dues, and I deserve a break. Thank God that these people didn't have any of those attitudes, huh? And the Lord used them to help David to do what? Advance the kingdom of God. Man, I pray that we would learn all these lessons tonight. A lot of things, I think, that we can take to heart. But let me just share with you one last thing. And let's kind of look at the big picture here. What is, who is David oftentimes a picture of? Jesus, right? And, and you look at the, the life of Christ, and we know that he went to the cross, he rose again, and he went to heaven. And you look at the world that we live in right now, and you're thinking, man, he's not the king. He's not the king. And in one sense, he's kind of like on the other side of the Jordan. But still, you have to choose who you're going to serve. Will it be Absalom, or will it be Jesus? Because I tell you what, Jesus is coming back, right? So many things going on. I was telling someone today that, you know, North Korea is going to send missiles at 8 o'clock. I was just messing around with them, you know. But, <laughs> you, know, we, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, that'll never happen. Oh, their missiles can't go that far. You know, we just got to be careful. We can't take things too lightly. All I know is this, that Jesus is coming back. And we know this, that he has won the war, right? But we've got some battles to fight. And there's some heavy battles that take a lot of agonizing and strategizing and learning lessons about life like, like we learned tonight in our scriptures. And then just bringing them into practical application. And just remembering this, man, that as we line ourselves up with Jesus Christ. And for I don't know, man, I know a lot of you here, most of you here are, are Christians. But, but, you know, Christians, non-Christians, everybody today, we've got to line ourselves up with the Lord. If you don't know Christ, if you're here, maybe someone invited you, it's your first time. If you don't know Jesus, then you're still living in your sins. And if you die today, you will perish. You need to give your life to Christ. He loves you. He died for you. And what the Bible says is you've got to turn from your sins. And you trust in Christ today. And then when you die, you can know for sure. I'm going to heaven. And not only that, it's cool, huh? For those of you guys who are Christians, wouldn't you say this, that being Christian is pretty cool? <laughs> I love my Lord. I thank God for the grace he's given to me in my life. Even though I'm still a knucklehead, I know that my sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. I have peace. I have freedom. And that's what God wants to give to us. And it's so cool to know that we don't fight necessarily for victory. We fight from victory. He's already won the war. It's on our side. Such a cool life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word. And I know there's a lot here, Father, that I cannot bring in justice. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would, and that you would bless your people, and just give them lives that would bring you honor and glory, and that would be pleasing to you. And I pray that you would kind of bring us up to a different level, Lord God, that from this point forward, Lord, there'd be a growth so that we can move mountains, Lord, so that we can walk on water, so that we could be parents and friends and soldiers and people of your church, Lord, that, that you've called us to be. Stand in the gap, Lord, for those that are hurting, and I pray, Lord, that tonight your Holy Spirit would just sanctify and save plant seeds, water seeds, Lord, and even bring in a harvest. Those are things that only you can do. 
So we pray that you would tonight, and we ask together in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.